<laughs> right, we are back for episode two of season two of the end podcast. We, yeah, we're still here. We're doing it. We're still on the weekly schedules. Unexpected is for me as it is for anybody else. But yes, we are back once again. Again, we are on all your uh, audio expected platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud and Google Podcasts, and we also have Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to find us there. It's usually the end underscore pod. I am your pop culture popping Jay, Marvel Spank, aka Matt, and with me today, as always, is the delightful Tim. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm a lot more excited than I was when I wasn't speaking to you. <laughs> That's just the effect you have. You're just this warm, warm glow of a person. I, I, I hear that a lot. I get that a lot. So you know, yeah, you're not yeah. the only one. So today we are going to be speaking about comics going to Substack. We're going to be talking about creator residuals and trailers, what we think of trailers. And yes, Anthony Mackie's spoken for the first time about his upcoming Captain America film. So first up, Substack. A bit out of the blue, because I know that Spencer, once he finished his Spider-Man run, wasn't it? He's yep. gone to work for Substack in developing their comics on. There's and some pretty big names. Um, Tinian, Bendis, Hickman, Snyder, to name just four. Substack is a subscription-based newsletter, isn't it? That's where people right. pay to have either weekly or monthly updates from their favorite political writers. Yeah, it's typically journalists who leave their mainstream publications and will set up a newsletter subscription service. Yeah. Over- yeah, I guess it gives them a little bit more freedom. But it isn't only going to be newsletters. It's going to be news letter-based comics the list of people that have signed up it, it's a long list there's about 20 or 30 of the biggest names going down to people like Sally Namid, Teeny yep. Howard per creator so not just for a service like Netflix is going to be seven dollars a month and that's like the entry-level fee I think for a lot of them like there are yeah. different levels too so like Tinny and I had read has got different levels so you can do the seven dollar per month you can do 250 a year for the special yeah, VIP yeah. news I don't know dude I don't I don't like it. I've seen a lot of defense on this. It's quite split on social media, isn't it? And it's mm-hmm. about them making money. They're not a doctor. They're not a dentist. They're not a fucking fireman. They're doing a job that has hundreds of thousands of people that would want to do it on within some capacity of being able to. And they're the best of the best. You know what you're getting into? It's an, an extra exploitation over um, crowdfunding, whatever people use. Because that, that, even crowdfunding the stuff leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. So if you're Scott Snyder and it's just because you want to keep 100% of the money for yourself, they might have an advance if you're a very, very big name, but you have to wait a couple of months for residuals. And the argument that Snyder used when he crowdfunded a comic that had already been signed for Image, and then he was basically saying, oh yeah, but we won't get the money up front for Image. Right, Scott Snyder, but this isn't your first fucking comic. Totally. What about the one that you did two months ago that you're now getting paid for? It's the whole sort of, oh, I love my creators. I'm going to stick up for my creators. Dude, they don't know who the fuck you are. They don't care. All they care about is how much money you've got in your fucking pocket. If this works, yeah. I just ask the question, why? comics fans so we get eager to be taken yeah, advantage yeah of. i wonder what it means to say how will we know this works what what will happen here in my opinion and i don't in principle object to a creator of any kind create some value getting paid for it. that's fine what, what happens yeah, yeah. here is the people who are already doing fine downs entirely to them so like scott snyder yeah. as you were discussing earlier it's like well your name's scott snyder so you're definitely going to get paid for this comic book i mean <laughs> yeah. we're not talk- we're not talking about me making my first comic book and by the way i'm not exactly I'm not exactly what the subset thing does is it allows the people who are already established your mm. true Mount Rushmore's of current comics yep, to yep, get yep. to get a payday, which is fine. But what ends up happening there is that is not going to redound to the hundredth adopter of the Substack newsletter. 
the up and coming creator. And there might be a brain drain from the big two. They're just going to get new people, new great creators to exploit. This model is not going to redound to people who really need to be paid. What I don't like about it specifically, Teeny Howard's hit and miss. Saladier Damage hit and miss. Like, can mm. you imagine if you paid $250? I mean, look, I'll buy all the X-Men stuff out of completeness sake, and I'd just like to have the whole world view of it. I hated X-Factor and I would still mm. have bought the second one. Can you imagine our good friend Joe, who likes to read four or five issues and he's ruthless and to be honest I wish I was more ruthless I wish I was more Joe can you imagine signing up for $250 worth of comic and after three newsletters the quality is absolute fucking toilet yeah oh I know you're taking the risk on entirely as the subscriber. Uh, yeah. at least when you're talking about the big two or really any of the major comics publishers there's a whole apparatus set up with editorial I mean there's a whole infrastructure Whereas in the yeah. Substack model, you, the creator, have to run the entire business. And I, I have to wonder, like, yeah. especially with the obligations some of these people already have, like Donny Cates to Marvel, yeah. whether that, how that's going to work in terms of, uh, you know, a subscription service and whether you're going to get value for that. You know, there are people who are sure things. So like Chip Zdarsky, for instance, to me is a sure thing. Anything he yeah. writes, I'll definitely read. And it typically is great. And, but even, even in that case, I don't think I would subscribe because to me, they have the newsletter, but they also retain the rights to publish print comics down the road. So it's like, mm. why wouldn't I just wait for that? Even when I did have a pull list, I would circle from A to Z. And then by the time I was at A again, I'd maybe have 20 issues to read. Then I'd get to the end of the run. I'd turn that one back to front and put it back in the box so I know where I was up to in like 18 months time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's but so I, true. I, I have no patience for single issues. I have no, I don't know, are they going to be doing an issue a month? And if it's all by email, Disney can't stop people pirating Black Widow. Yep. This is a click of an email. This is yeah, forward. Yeah, yeah. Each of the creatives are having to set up their own, would it be in, in LLC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to have to have some sort of project manager, aren't they? Yeah, you, you hire a project manager. What you're doing there is you're saying, I have an entire infrastructure that I need to create to get mm. the comics out in whatever format it is. And that just seems like a huge lift for people who are who are creatives, you know? I don't know. So And also for every Tug McFarlane, there's a Rob Liefeld. There's some people that are business orientated from the start and the people that are just casual scoundrels. You can't tell me that <laughs> right. Donny Cates or Tini Howard or Saladin Ahmed and necessarily have the aspiration to run their own businesses. Some people are com look at like Gail Simone, not a criticism. Some people are just comfortable knowing what they've got to write and who they've got to write it for. Kelly Thompson's another one. And this is not me giving my opinion because obviously I don't know how she works, but from listening to her on, on podcasts, she's a fucking car crash when it comes to deadlines. Be cramming in the week before, having four hours sleep for 10 days just to get the pages out it's a completely different dynamic for the first 12 months they're being paid a one-off fee aren't they like that's right from yep. Yep. I, I think six to seven figures per creative it's going to be a lost lead it's going to entice the um, subscribers in and then after that year when i used to play music in bar some of them used to be well your job's to come in i, I, I mean dj but i wouldn't really call it a dj because you you just basically stand there pressing play every four and five minutes because the music has to be appropriate for the time of day in the middle of the week so some of them would be right your job when somebody comes in they like the music so they stay for another a drink longer than they'd usually be here maybe two or three and then it gets busier and then there's an atmosphere and then it's, it's like a self catalyst and other ones would be like no it's up to you to promote it the amount of promotion you put in is going to be proportionate to the amount of people that are in there how much money is put behind the bar to how much money i get at the end of the night the first example you get paid by the hour the other one you get a cut of the bar this sort of follows the first example but then switches to the second example people don't really know about substack like it's hard enough to get people to walk into a comic shop and pick up a new title because it's intimidating the story format it comes into it is there going to be easy access after a year or are you just hoping that all the subscribers that you get after the uh, day zero are just going to follow all the way through? I, 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 the whole thing's just really baffling. I think it poses so many more questions. It, it just makes me, the whole thing makes me anxious. It's kind of like the OnlyFans yeah. model. You've already seen the face. You know what the shape is. You just want to see it with, with less coverings. <laughs> A yeah. tease of knowing what these creatives can do. But then like, okay, but if you want to see more, then we're going to we're gonna need a little bit more money from you. Oh, no, no, yeah. no. You don't, we don't tell you what you see yet. We don't tell you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Would you do any of these? Would you actually sign up for any of them? No, I wouldn't on principle because I don't like digital comics anyway. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, don't... I don't know what it is about, which is weird because that's the actual medium that it was created in. Exactly. It, just, right. it doesn't look right. I don't know. Maybe the colors are too bold or, or everything's a little bit too bright. I don't know. I don't know, but I don't like digital. And I wouldn't do on, on principle because I don't like people telling me how I've got to consume. I like to be able to make my choices. 
whether I want to do the single issues, whether I want to do the trades, whether I want to have an omnibus. Is there a back library? So if you do pick it up halfway into an arc, do you get to see the other issues? Right. But you haven't been paying the whole time, right? So you shouldn't, yeah. like, do you us to the back catalog or do you not? And what about people who have been paying the whole time? Do they get anything extra or special? Maybe all you're getting there is you get to be the early adopter, like the, the fan who gets yeah. to see it. To me, I couldn't care less about that. I'm not a weekly reader exactly. I have to read like longer arcs. So to me, that's not- I didn't enjoy not... comics when I yeah. did it like that, especially with the events. You can get stuck for a month just getting through 160 issues. You're still buying them and they're still getting stacked up. The weight of trying to stay current stopped me enjoying reading for probably the best part of two years. The pressure yeah. to read things out of obligation. It's almost like a panic and you end up reading so much shit to try and not miss anything good. It's exhausting. I didn't like reading that way. No one cares if I'm posting on Twitter about it. No one's waiting for my review of the fucking, the most recent issue with The Punisher. So what right. pressure was I putting on myself? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the only the only value is if you care about being part of that, like, Twitter commentary in real time. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think. To sum up my view of it, I don't really have any problem with it in principle, but I there's so many questions unanswered, and it seems to me that the be the true benefits are going to flow to the people who need them the least. So that's one thing. The second thing is I don't care about digital, and I will happily wait like a year for a print yep. comic. It's not for me. And then, ironically... There is the issue of creator residuals from the MCU films and from comic books in general that's reared its head again. I, mean, I know that the example that's been used is Brubaker had a $500 check of goodwill after uh, the Winter Soldier made his first appearance. And he only got $500? No, he didn't get anything. He didn't get anything. But when the film was released, they sent him a check. For $500? As a, yeah, as a goodwill gesture. And he was like, well, to be honest, that's an insult. I'd rather you just not send me anything. He was quite phlegmatic in his... It was in... Robert, not Robert Smith. Robert Smith was from The Cure, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> who's the guy? Who's, who's the guy? Clerk's guy. Kevin Smith. Yeah, Kevin Smith. That's the guy. Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all these Smithers. <laughs> Tom Smith was the singer from Editors. I don't, just a world of Smiths. <laughs> so, yeah, but I think... In nerd culture, that was a big deal at the time. It's only just starting to, to flow out into like the, the general sort of zeitgeist. For the actual premiere, he got put in... in do you know how you've got the, the red carpet where all the big stars and they're all there looking nice in their gowns and suits? Brubaker, because he's an ugly old man, he got put in the second screen away from around the other side of the block. And even <laughs> then, he didn't get a ticket. I can't remember who it was. I think he had to... I think he actually phoned... Um, Sebastian oh Stan. Yeah, Sebastian uh, Stan, yeah. It was, yeah, to get him in. And even yeah. then, he was in the shitty second cinema, like, round the back. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? It and is crazy. I've... I feel, I always go back to one of the, the biggest catchphrases that Robert Meyer Burnett um, says on his channel. And he's an editor, um, film producer, who works on the two Cody Banks films. Um, he has a film coming out quite soon called Tango Shalom, where he's editor, producer, visual ex, uh, effects producer. And he says, you don't get what you deserve, you get what you negotiate. Totally. There has to be a little bit of flexibility because then what people have said, if I was a Marvel creator, why would I do anything new? Because I'm, I'm never going to get paid for it. The perversion of this is Rob Liefeld, whenever he's accosted on Twitter for being a talentless cunt, <laughs> and people always throw the obvious line of Gail Simone, Rob Kelly, these are the people that created the character. And he went, yeah, great. And I make all the money off them as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know how much of it, because he's basically injected himself into any sort of press for Deadpool. I don't know if people want him there or he's just more, it's just hard work to get him to like unclench his teeth. But he seems to think that he makes a, a decent amount of money off Deadpool. <sighs> Was it naivety for Brubaker or the residuals of the fame that you get from writing for the big two enough repayment? Well, yeah, I mean, for some people, it seems like it's not just the money, the sort of notion of getting credit for what you've created. So that mm. would be getting your name in the credits of the movie would be enough for some people or at least something that's of value there is precedent for marvel in particular who seems to be the worst of the two between marvel and dc for renegotiating yeah. some of these agreements you know like Definitely. the jim star 
I read something where he said that he received a bigger payment for a minor character. And I don't know who, what character this is from uh, BVS than he wow. did for MCU for Thanos, uh, Gamora and Drax combined. No um, way. He made a big stink of it. And he said the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And so he made a big deal yeah. of it publicly and they re renegotiated his <clears throat> agreement after the fact, of course. But the thing about the Marvel, I, I, there's less written about the DC model, but the Marvel, mm. the Marvel model, it seems as if there are these contracts. I jotted down the name. They're called, um, what are they called? Uh, I like that um, noise. <laughs> these are called character contracts, which is like, so typically- Sorry, the say that again, pal. I, I spoke over you and, and it wasn't clear. My apologies. Oh, no, no. Sorry, sorry. So typically the model is just like work for hire. So you get hired by Marvel and you get paid yeah. a flat fee and maybe some royalties right on top mm. of that. But some people can get these contracts called special character contracts, which contemplate payments for, for characters or storylines, <laughs> filmed characters or storylines. But I read that a lot of the creators at Marvel don't even know, didn't even know these existed. Yeah. That you have, that you have to. So they're boilerplate, and of course written by the company. So these are not negotiated agreements. So they favor, of course, the publisher. Yeah. And and you have to apply for them. So you have to first know they exist, and then yeah, yeah. be savvy enough to apply for them. And then the application process, Marvel can just simply deny your application. Say no, this this story or character is not original enough. We mm. deny your application for a special character contract. And there's no, it's unappealable. So mm. there's so much leverage over the creator that it, um, it's not surprising that we have this kind of situation, you know, Brubaker and, and beyond. I think we're going to have a bit of a labor management split on this one again. So it has to be fair. And I think when we're talking about $500 checks, then you're basically, you're pissed on someone's chips intentionally. Like, there's no two ways about it. It's almost a snide, sort of backhanded compliment. But yeah. I think, look at Tiny in the Fourth. Um, would something, something's killing the children have been a success as notoriously so if he wasn't on Batman? When you look at Brubaker, would he have done all the stuff with Sean Phillips? Would that have been as notorious if he hadn't have done that cap run? One of my personal favourites, Cullen Bunn. He's never done a big character. For some reason, his Marvel stuff, other than Magneto, has been poor. The Venom run was poor. If he'd have been given, say, something that suited him, a Doctor Strange or Ghost Rider, and he had done the most notorious Doctor Strange or Ghost Rider run ever, his other works would be a lot more highly regarded. It's not like Hickman's other work east of west hickman's notoriety came after he did the avengers stuff in the fantastic four would he just be another talented independent creator and look yeah, what yeah, difference is, if, it, if it's a new character or an old character it's the strength of the story that's going to matter and really it comes back to the whole sjw thing when they changed all the colors of the marvel characters for all new or different like hulk was korean captain america was black thor was a woman right but we're getting concerned over what color they've used on the page to what they look like the actual strength of the story is what counts they're just avatars for the agency of the story like with bendis with what he did with mars morales and jessica jones they're still going to carry on without him did kelly thompson write a good jessica jones story the answer is yes she fucking slayed <laughs> there's no divinity to the characters if you do an outstanding run for a big publisher that's its own meritocracy the windfalls you have is then what you do for yourself there afterwards. Let's say if it wasn't Winter Soldier and it was just, they just still called him Bucky Barnes, which was an existing character. But the story was told exactly the same way. All it is, is the name on the front cover. Does he then have any proprietary rights because he's reinvented Bucky Barnes or is it just because he's called him a different, different name? No, no, I see what you're driving at. I guess one response would be to say, yes, it, working, working for the big two and doing a, a run that's val that's highly regarded, or to, you know, cutting your teeth there and making a name for yourself, then allows you to move out into the, into the indie world and and basically own your own book, and you're making money off of that. But 
you you are still making money off of an indie book as opposed to huge sums of money that you would negotiate for a, like a billion dollar MCU release. I'm not saying, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not saying that you sh it should be a standard bo boilerplate where you say the creator say gets 35% of whatever, like like an actor yeah. in a film would. Not yeah. necessarily, but I do think that they should be entitled to negotiate the agreements. Um, yes. Right now, they they don't have that right. I mean, it's boilerplate. Yeah, yeah. They're not permitted to negotiate it, and they're not even they're not even made aware that they exist. I mean, now it's public, so of course, if mm. you're a creator, you must now know that they exist. These special character contracts, but they should be allowed to negotiate the terms of those agreements instead of having them be just standard boilerplate. Because we're talking about much greater sums than you could make off even the mo even something's killing the children. I presume makes tons of money, but nothing like yeah. you would get. You know, if you got a cut out of a Batman movie. So th I guess that's one response is that I, I, I take what you're saying seriously. And I and I, I hadn't thought of that. That's a that's a good point that you're basically creating your reputation on the mm. big two. And that's that's the value you get when you go yeah. out and make books. Oh, kind of like Substack. I mean, all these people are are, yeah. are are the you know, the front runners here because they cut their teeth on important big two um storylines that they made so yeah i i take that very seriously but I, I just think that ultimately the deck is stacked so uh in favor of the uh companies as opposed to the creators that there needs to be a a, a little bit of a market adjustment there and i yeah. i, I kind of do think so one thing i guess one of the one of the results here is like yo creator get a lawyer i mean that's the thing when you're negotiating these agreements bring a lawyer with, with that's <laughs> yeah, one yeah. just piece of advice free legal advice i would give them and i kind of wonder whether this recent publicity so brubaker came out uh ta-nehisi coates has spoken about this so these are kind of big creators at the height of their powers in, in many respects i wonder if this is going to move the needle at all because it seems like it's a it would be a win-win for both sides you know the creator obviously would get more money and that's a win but yeah. the company seem it seems like if they renegotiated these contracts and gave the creators a bigger piece of the pie It'd be a win for the companies too, because then it removes the disincentive to go to Substack, for instance. Like if yes. you wanted, to, you know, you could. The creators would stay put; <laughs> they wouldn't hold back storylines that could be more profitably used elsewhere. So it would keep the creators happy. It'd be good for publicity. You know, you're creating, you're you're yeah. treating your talent better. So I don't know. It seems like win-win. But Brevoort says he reads something like six hundred and fifty individual comics a month and that's him being almost like um a sports scout going to watch the minor leagues yeah so totally. i would just be a little bit careful say if i was let me think who's some like an ethan j Sachs or a jed mackie if i've got an idea for a new character and i start swinging my dick around mm -hmm. because again the power is with the selected few as it always is I mean, it's good how this ties into the Substack thing because if they, if the big dogs are walking away because of that, it reminds me a lot of the scriptwriters strike in the mid, um, in the mid noughties. The reason yeah. why Hero season two was crap. The reason why I think season three of Lost was crap because they basically they got halfway through and then they just brought in blackleg writers to finish it off. You have to question the motivations for... Well, if you look at Jeff Lemire and Cullen Bunn, they both said that they've done their... One of their big... When they started writing, they wanted to do superheroes. They've done it now, and the experience didn't work for them at all. And if look, they're not closing the door completely... Well, Cullen Bunn has been quite vicious about the way things ended at Marvel in the language used, if, if not the actual narration of what happened. But I would question the motivation of even... A Hickman, a Snyder, a Tom King, would they be happy to do it to get the result? But would they want to expend the energy that that fight would take? Fighting yeah. the industry that you've got to work in. And I would question, like, once you have that notoriety, do you still have the fight left in you? Uh, like, I remember reading a story about Al Jaffe, who did, who was like a great EC creator. And apparently, like, okay. his, his paychecks, okay? You have to sign your paycheck on the back, right? To, to, to cash it. Right, right. The check on the back, so we'd had the check with whatever the mount was in the front. On the back, it had contract language saying, "If you sign this check, you sign away all rights to all the all of your creation." No. Yeah. So to deposit his paycheck, he'd have to sign away all of his rights, and these are like the battles. That's despicable. Days. Yeah. Right. So That's so despicable. You know, lawyers are very can be very clever and terrible in that way. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, 
So, so, so the whole thing about the special character contract or what DC calls, I think the creator equity contract was actually mm-hmm. responsible mm-hmm. like verbal old days. But even yeah. then, when negotiated, the companies kind of find a way around them. That around them, that's the whole thing with like Alan Moore and Watchmen. That was like yeah. a special character contract. But yeah. one of the ways in which DC got out of it was to keep, you know, one of the provisions was if, if we keep this in print, the rights do not revert to you. But there was no expectation at the time that things would stay in print like that. But that has happened to you over the, over the last 30, 40 years almost. And so mm-hmm. it does raise the question, what fight are you having ultimately? The fight that you're having over uh, two plus years, is that just going to get subverted nonetheless? Yeah. Oh, I've lost the, my pattern of thought now. I'd, I'd, uh... I don't know the pearl, Sorry. mate. It was good. it was going to be Hollywood, honestly. There's going to be ticker tape, <laughs> <laughs> streamers, people, <laughs> a couple of guys on the bugle. I mean, the the pipe, <laughs> not the drugs. <laughs> the pipe could be as well, I suppose. Uh, oh yeah, that was what I was going to say. With the current culture of converting, especially with the streaming platforms now, there's still opportunities. If your success with your creator own stuff, there are still avenues for it. People aren't blindsided and completely blinkered to the big two superheroes anymore. Also, we've seen with Jeff Loveness, who who did very limited runs for Marvel. He did some Nova, he did, I think, some Young Avengers at some point or something like that. He's got some cracking indie stuff as well, like Judas. But he's now one of the head writers for Rick and Morty. So you'll probably get more on an episode there that for writing an episode for Rick and Morty than you probably would do on a exclusive contract at Marvel. Yeah. And also, when you look at people like Christopher Yost, who did a lot of the glory days of Marvel animation in the noughties, he did Earth Mightiest Heroes, did Wolverine and the X-Men, and he created X-23 and Wolverine and the X-Men, which of mm. course then went on to being Logan. He's also one of the chief writers on Thor Ragnarok. So I think really the reputational gains, again, aren't just shuttered around comics creatives, that that there is a broader... People now respect it more as a medium, and they're happy to hoover good writers. I, I think it's one of those whereby they've not been treated well enough, but we're more fortunate in this specific period of creators where you can exploit the reputational gains of working for the big two. And again, the cream rises to the top. Not everybody will get it. Like, every job's hard. Not everybody gets promotion. You know, it's a fucking pyramid. It's almost like treating the, your work at DC or Marvel as, as an internship. Parlay the benefits of that in other spheres. So, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. And I think now more than ever, it's most equitable because of the fact that you can yeah, parlay no. independent work into big, big budget, you know, TV yeah. production. Yeah, it's, it's probably best now. I, I do feel for the creators of earlier generations yeah. that, you know, even then i mean there weren't it's not like they were they were they were huge big budget like mcu movies 30 years ago so yeah. it's like, yeah not exactly the same thing but yeah oh that was that was heavy wasn't it mate <laughs> that was heavy let's let's talk yeah. about something a little bit lighter something a bit more fun <laughs> trailers are we Relish. sick of them yet I feel like there's more expectation waiting for trailers than the films. I feel like trailers is when you jump into the pool and you pinch your nose. Like, that's what it is. And you're just like, and then you're coming up to the surface and then you just go, oh, thank God that's over with. Thank God that's over with. And then when the film comes, that's just having a nice little swim on top of the water. Do you watch trailers? I've stopped. I always try, I watched the first one, but... The second trailer for Venom, when they showed you how Carnage was created, that whole scene, I was like, fuck this, I'm out. Turned it off immediately. The Spider-Man one is obviously is of prime importance at the moment. Fuck Sony. I know they didn't show the whole film. They showed the teased enough, but I feel like I don't need to watch the first 40 minutes of that film now. I haven't seen it. I'm not gonna... I've, like, blocked it out. I heard it was out. I avoided it, purposely avoided it. Yeah. But I do that with basically most trailers now we're both of an age where it used to be to see a trailer you'd have to be in a movie theater or yeah. be watching television at a certain time to you know see a trailer mm. on now of course it's all over the internet and there's like you said an entire ecosystem built up around trailers both in terms of what they reveal the analysis thereof yeah. um and all the the easter eggs that it's just like to me that very fact the fact there's so much in, so there's so much goes into creating the trailers, but also so much goes into yeah. analyzing the entire, it is the entire phase of the film. There are people doing reaction videos to other people's breakdown videos. 
I know you've not seen What If, but the first one, Captain Carter, they basically condensed a two and a half hour film into 30 minutes, almost play for play. And it was really, really jarring. And that's how I felt the opening of the Spider-Man film was. It was taking little slices of all the key components of the first act of the film. It just, it really frustrated me. But I've seen so much the guessing game of what it's going to... Like, it'd be impossible at this point to not... I mean, Melina said he was coming back as Doc Ock. The whole Garfield, Maguire thing. And I just wanted to see if they were going to show it in the trailer. But I'm definitely not watching anymore. Like, I don't want to see any more of it. But again, you have people that are breaking down very, very dark shots. And there's a silhouette of someone. And they're going, definitely Lizard's back. Oh, there was some some sand in this scene. Definitely Sandman. (laughs) It's like, all right, all right. Mephisto, anybody? (laughs) (laughs) and the funny thing was when there was the whole Mephisto yarn going on daily yarn of Mephisto spotting during WandaVision if that is true we have Spider-Man No Way Home coming and that would tie into was it One one Last Day No More Days and Art May Lives one more day the famously terrible (laughs) yeah famously is the word to use (laughs) in the trailer someone held up um, a placard and it had a picture of him and it said the devil in disguise (laughs) (laughs) and then there was the stained glass as well wasn't there in um, Loki the demonic stained glass do you know what I think they're kind of wise to it now either they're being really sophisticated now people are scared to say it or they're just totally taking the piss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're playing on, like, the expectation, totally. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like yeah. dropping their shoulder before you do a nice little step over and shimmy. Just beating <laughs> that fullback and then getting the crossing. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. though, too. I don't want to get spoiled by a trailer. You know, I want to go in. Like, we were talking offline about The Matrix. Um, yes. And how I saw that when it came out, and I knew nothing about it. I went in completely mm. blind. And that really kind of made the experience, experience really, really memorable. So I try, I want to try to replicate that. But on the other hand, on the other side of that, though, when you actually do see the movie, to kind of go back or to have been involved in that conversation about what the speculation is, you know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of fun involved in that. And I will miss that if I if I do like a complete ban on watching trailers. You're right. I but I would not to just disagree with everything you say today, Tim, because you are a delightful mm-hmm. individual who I consider a dear friend. However, that discussion is what puts me off because the whole Mephisto thing, in fantasy sport as well for fantasy football, everybody is absolutely determined about who's going to be the best player and for what reason. And there becomes this hive mind where everybody convinces each other. If you say, hang on, it might not be that. People get so wounded. It's like you've just kicked one of their children up the leg. Like, it's like they're mortally wounded that you could possibly suggest an alternative. The only way you can be certainly wrong is to speak with certainty. Mm-hmm. If you say it might happen, you can never, ever be wrong. All I'm saying is you might be wrong. And I will always be right. And you'll be right some of the time. Yeah, totally. And then they'll be like, ah, I told you so. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't fucking know. You didn't yeah. work it out. You weren't in the writer's room. Like, dude, it's fiction. It could be fucking anything. It could be my dick. <laughs> <laughs> it could be your mama's pussy, y'all. <laughs> like, literally, yeah. the comics aren't real life. And this isn't a film about the, a, a historically momentous event. Literally anything could happen. Anything. Yeah. If it could be written on a page, it can be right. He would never do that. Well, he just did. <laughs> and I understand yeah, yeah. it because I get, I get really butthurt about Ragnarok. But that was, that's not about the characterization. That's about wasting a really good storyline and filling it with jokes. Thor Disassembled is absolutely amazing. Everybody talks about Planet Hulk. Absolutely, half the film was that. But the beat-for-beat beat recreation, the way he loses an eye, the way that he, ha- he has to submit himself to the actual Ragnarok at the end, the way that he realizes that it's cyclical and he might die, but it's about the people and it's about more than the physical location. Beat-for-beat, beat, Thor Disassembled. He goes to the world tree, right? My father plucks out an eye to save Asgard and then nothing happens and he goes, what a fool I am. He said, I'm just replicating the acts of a fool. This will never serve to save Asgard. So he takes his, plucks his other eye out because he had to do a gesture that wasn't tokenistic. He had to do it beyond something that he knew would work. And then he sat at the bottom of the tree, like not physically crying because he's just taken his eyes out. And he's saying again, I am now only twice the fool of my father because this meant nothing. 
and Thor's yeah. blind, crying at the bottom of the world tree. And he's like, oh. now how can I save Asgard? Because I'm both a fool and blind. Fucking powerful. Like, it was yeah. intense. And they changed that kind of scene into fart yeah. So it's not that I'm so precious about the characters or anything like that, but I, it just hurt me that such a beautiful story is now the chance of that ever happening. That's yeah, because the material's can... yeah. So finally, finally, Malcolm Spellman. We knew he was writing the Captain America film, but now uh, Anthony Mackie's come out and said, I'm doing the Captain America film. I couldn't care less, to be honest with you. How do you feel? I'm into it. Excited for it. I, a few things in particular that I'm interested in. One is that they're not doing like a, like a reboot of like, it's going to be Captain America number four. So it's a continuation of the series, which yeah, I think yeah, is yeah. interesting that they've done it that way kind of highlighting that you know sam is really the heir to the to the shield which is cool instead of like making yep. him be in some ways like a separate character and the other thing i'm just really interested in about it i mean i'm interested in the storyline because i like i like the series quite yeah. quite well but i'm interested to see this is the first instance other than arguably hulk where they're kind of recasting a, a character yes. right yes. and this is going to be an important canary in the coal mine because they're going to have to start replacing mm characters going forward. I mean, obviously if they do Iron Man, it's going to be a new actor. At a certain point, they're going to have to replace all these with either yeah. characters or new actors. And so I, it's sort of like a nice little bellwether to see how that's going to work out for MCU. Yeah, I think that could be cool. It's not like, it's not how, like I was interested, much more interested in Black Widow because I love Natasha. She's my favorite yeah. Avenger probably. So I was very, very interested in that as a standalone. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I like the idea of it, but I just don't like the idea of Mal Malcolm Spellman writing it i thought that some of falcon the winter soldier was really clunky and i felt that yep i did like the way he wrote sammy just didn't make him very likable and that speech at the end oh my god that curled my toes you know when you stand there go we've all just gotta do better you. yeah that's, that's painful that was so bad yeah my head my hesitation as well with spellman he's never written anything theatrical but then you could probably argue that n neither of the resources. I mean, the main, my main objection with the show was that at a lot of times it felt like a very, very long movie just chopped up without the rising, falling action of episodes. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, setting aside some of the clunkiness of the characterization and the, di and yeah. the dialogue, if we can maybe remedy that. The way they created the show <laughs> more amenable, I think, to, mm. to what a movie would look like, you know, over a, a, you know, two, two and a half hours. Uh, because it just did feel like they shot like a like an eight-hour movie and chopped it up. Um, yeah, I think in his defense, it, to be fair, I think it might just be that Anthony Mackie is just not a very good actor. Sebastian Stan and mm. Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell's son, yeah, Wyatt Russell. Oh. But Wyatt Russell was fantastic in it. Sebastian Stan was fantastic in it. So maybe, oh God, I mean that makes it even worse than that he's going to be the lead. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> It, yeah yeah is it going to be like a team movie like is it going to be basically like sam and bucky or is it going to be is sam going to clearly be the lead you know those are kind of unanswered questions and and yeah. really could break the movie you know well they had i think it's going to bring in because he's the falcon isn't he and then there's this hispanic kid that turns into falcon he gets tired of just being a guy in a suit and he, he wants superpowers. So he goes to a guy and he, or as these things do, it catastrophically goes wrong and he actually turns him into an anthropomorphic falcon with like the mm. big eyes and the feathers and all that kind of shit. So it'd be interesting to see if they go down that route. But he yeah. left that guy the wings, didn't yeah. he? So many possible threads because I mean, there's so much in Falcon and Winter Soldier. I mean, you've got like the Julia Louis-Dreyfus character, yeah. Madam Hydra or whatever. That could be an angle. I mean, it, Val. to me, Less, I'm less interested exactly in what threads they pick up than mm. to see like whether, you know, because in the past, like those Captain America movies, they've kind of towed the line. Like the, like the first Avenger is clearly a uh, Steve Rogers movie, whereas uh, the Civil War movie is an Avengers movie kind of dressed up as a as a Captain America movie. So they've, there's been a history in the, in the earlier films of having uh, kind of towing the line between a, a capped specific movie and a more team-oriented movie so I, I wonder what they're going to do here and it's less interesting to me like what particular threads they pick up plot wise yeah. than what decision they make as regards whether it's going to be a sam movie or it's going to be a captain america yeah. team oriented movie do you think was it nick spencer that did the concurrent um yep. steve rogers captain america and and sam wilson captain america yeah i, th I think with spellman writing there's a chance that they'll go down that route with it i think you have to go for it you can't do it and apologize. 
not apologise for it because, again, the Carl Lumley parts of Falcon and the Winter Soldier were fucking great. And they actually made my eyes wet on a couple of occasions. And like when he's like, get out my house! Oh my God! <laughs> it gave me like an inverted erection. Like it shot inside me <laughs> instead of getting bigger. <laughs> I did add an innie. <laughs> but... But yeah, he was so so good. If they can, if they can harness the power of that, it's, it's getting actors that understand one the issues in the broadest sense and not being myopic about the issues. And second of all, having a writer that can provide them with material that again isn't myopic. There were clear instances in Falcon and the Winter Soldier where they where it was right, but then that speech at the end was definitely not one of them they need to work work out what this is is it cw speeches yeah. or are we getting into yeah the, are we um, getting into the weeds with this yeah I, I don't really have anything out of that and i would say also that i'm kind of interested in the fact that they're now mcu is now going to have two arguably three like black centric um franchises so you're going to have yeah. the new captain america you're going to have of course black panther and then blade ultimately um, yes so that is interesting, and I think that does actually the Captain America, Sam is Cap does more. We, we talked last week about representation with respect to, to Shang Chi, yep. and I'm a little skeptical of what that of of how how much yep. that franchise gets done in that respect. But this is more interesting because it's got your casting like it's not just a, a new character. You have a black Captain America, so that that okay. I think does representation but yeah those are my that's interesting him how do you think it will affect the box office because it didn't do so well for the comics did it it did not and that's an interesting question some of the comics i think some were more artistically successful than others but i don't know mm. whether the better ones did better ultimately i don't know I, i'm concerned about the box office returns on this one my hesitation with films, and it's the same with albums, like music albums for successful artists, the box office represents how good the previous film was and not how good that film is. The Transformers effect, whereby whatever the one with the fucking swords and the old King Arthur shit, that's still got a billion, I think, but it was shit. Bumblebee mm. was a fantastic film, but people then were sick of Transformers. Yeah, that was a great film, and that didn't do well. That's about it for me, mate. Yeah, anything else you want to... Do you want to put anything else in the mix in, Pat? Give it a little bit of a stir? Give it some juicy, no, juicy. I don't think so. That's all I got on that. Like, I think I get distracted when I couldn't remember the thing on um, on uh, creator owned right. Don't, creator don't mention it, Tim. Don't mention it. No one's <laughs> ever going to hear that. <laughs> Shh. I never make mistakes, especially when I used to do jokes for the intros. <laughs> so, yeah, what you've been what you've been reading in the last in the last week what what's been filling your time all right so continuing on with harrow county and american vampire but i've already spoken about those if i yeah. feel differently about either of those i'll bring them up again but yeah i'm still doing those it's been a kind of a light week for me one of my approaches to reading week to week is i'll go to my shop you know and the first thing i'll yeah. read is any new number ones that i've yeah. up, new series this week i've done a few of those so Marvel did a book, Winter Guard, which is, I think, piggybacking off, obviously, like, Black Widow stuff okay. in, the, in the Russian family. That was really good. This is by... Who is this by? This is by... By... It's just not enough. Oh, Oh, Ryan Katie. I really like that first issue. So I'm going to at least buy another one and try to see if I want to put that on my poll list. And the other two I've done in that same respect are kind of thematically based DC books. So one is Batman 89, which piggybacks off the back of the original Tim Burton movie. Is it good? It is good. It centers the Harvey Dent character. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, because we never get him in the, in the original iteration. We don't ever get him, I, to my knowledge, to turn into Two-Face. So I think yeah, that's yeah. what they're here. And then a second one is uh, Superman 78, which piggybacks off the original Superman movie, the Christopher Reeve movie. So those are my my three. I liked for all three of those, Superman 78, Batman 89, and Winter Guard. I really liked the first issue, so I'm definitely going to pick up second issues and see if I want to keep those on my on my list going forward. So that's that's my reading. I, I don't really have any deep analysis on those. They're kind of popcorn books at this yeah, point. Yeah. yeah are they so. totally similar to the films? Like, is the Batman one quite dark and murky? Is the Superman one fun? More hopeful. And like yeah, yeah hopeful exactly. and fun yeah that's totally. cool 
Yeah. Right. So what do you got? Oh, what have I got? I've been catching up on some Cullen Bun trades. I've been neglecting one of my... F- prob- I Let me put it this way. He's not my favourite because I know there are equally talented and there's other creatives that get me excited. When you hear Zdarsky, it's like, yeah. Like, you just totally. feel like there's a joy that goes inside you. But Cullen Bun's like my pet creative. He is my favourite. He is actually my favourite. But because because he releases so much, it's a treasure trove of going onto Amazon and you can pick something up that you've never heard of and you know it's going to be good. And mm. what I like about him specifically is, I don't know, I've said this on season one, when you do horror and you do so many different titles that... Okay, you've done possession. You've done done ghosts. You've done the monster in the woods. You've done vampires. There's only so many you can do. But what he yeah. comes up with. So for Dark Ark, what an idea! There wasn't just the Ark with two by two. There was the Dark Ark, which has all the the nasty creatures from legends. What it hides inside of it is kind of like a who done it the boxed horror element of it. You know how Cabin in the Woods perfectly shows it, where the actual, it's not just boxed narratively, it's actually physically boxed. Yeah, so, yeah. But you can feel that box slowly being pulled towards something. And you know there's something bigger happening, but it, the day-to-day management of this arc and, and stopping the creatures from killing each other under different external catalysts, it's really, really clever. The damned... The Damned was actually the first thing he wrote, uh, Jerry Duggan's Infinite Horizon, whereby there was years and months in between each issue because they were self-funding it, self-releasing it, trying to pick up a publisher to, to work with. And it's only after they have notoriety down the line put into a trade format. Very <laughs> sketchy, one of the least enjoyable that I've, that I've read of his, but for completeness sake, I bought the second one. Now, this was done years after the first volume, and it's really, really good. What's happened is the demons have all the demons have been expelled from hell. But when they come to Earth, they're not like these monolithic powerhouses. They're just schmucks that are ugly. are just trying to get on day by day. And there's some that sort of form like a mob. And it's set in that uh, moles and gangsters world. So it's all the sort of old cars and all the old dresses. It's like a period piece. It's a little bit like Keanu Reeves in Constantine. The demons are now kind of like mobsters. And then there's warring factions with the actual people of the earth. The way demons are always used, where they come, they'll just appear and then they'll just run riot and kill people and tear everything. They've just got there, they've stood there, and they're, with, they're kind of like, where the fuck are we? <laughs> <laughs> like dropping me or you in the middle of Africa or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's really, really well written. And like with Dark Ark, it focuses on the journey of the characters within that, that setting. So it sets the world, sets the limits, and then very quickly just concentrates on the, on the main characters and how they cope in the trials and tribulations of that world. Really, really good. The other one, Harrow County, goes without saying. Uh, it's a classic. I found the first volume was... Tried to fit a little bit too much in. I would have quite happily have taken out a couple of the MacGuffins in the middle part of it and just had this tormented chosen one child or anti-chosen one child who's becoming aware of, of the, the promise and purpose that she has, how that puts her in conflict with the people around her, specifically the person that's brought her up and how she discovers her role in all this. Whereas it was kind of like uh, another sort of horror trope or another horror MacGuffin that would appear. And I thought that it was a little bit too much trying to fit too much in the beginning, but still brilliant. Again, Bone Parish, the guy's just a fucking idea factory. What happens if you could convert the ashes of a dead loved one into a drug that gives you hallucinogenic experiences involving that person? So if you're a rock star, on stage or fucking groupies or it could be to revisit a dead relative but of course it's a finite resource because once that person's ashes is gone and it's from like a very specific gland or organ as well so it's not like you have buckets full of this person's ashes it progresses into subterfuge and misdirection and conspiracy and cynicism when you have a drug that's higher purpose that a potency that Mm. everybody wants in on it how did you find the artwork in harrow county challenging I found it challenging, like an old time painting, and yeah. it was all murky browns and oranges and greens in line with the materials that they had at their disposal. What I didn't like is when it was flames, reds and oranges and yellows, because it, it, it seemed to ill fit in with, with the medium that they were trying to 
um, ape. I like your description of that as like a like a, a painterly aesthetic because there are certain parts of that that were very very effective for me, yeah. especially close-ups or any depictions of faces in that book with that painterly yeah. quality. A really really creepy vibe for me you know obviously like any panel in a comic book is going to be static right the, the, yeah. it's image so both the way that the line work was drawn but also the the coloring so that gives it a very painterly quality and i thought for close-ups of faces it was very very creepy so i liked that element of it but i i, I see particular it reminded me a little bit of uh, is it edward munch's the scream yeah 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 i'm curious what you thought of that because that's very very unique style and that's another thing that I love about Cullen Bunn. And it's not that this is the easy choice for these creators because you just get a synergy. I imagine there's a synergy between Brubaker Phillips, between Remenda and Opeña and Lemire and Sorrentino. Creatives are very comfortable working in each other's skin to the point where Brubaker and Phillips now actually have a, a combined image contract, don't they? That they work together on X yeah. amount of original um, graphic novels each year. Cullen Bunn has this almost eerie way of selecting the perfect artist for each of his stories, and there's never repetition. The moment when I realised this first was in Cold Spots. It reminded me of early Jason Sean Alexander. Oh, sure, sure, for Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Empty Zone is fucking killer, but his hmm. that Cold Spots artwork reminded me of that mechanical, intricate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just look at the difference between the art in Harrow County and then a book we were also talking about offline, um, The Six Gun, very cartoony yeah. stuff, which yeah. really, really, having read the book, does fit. It's a horror book, to be sure, but it's really more of an adventure book. And that cartoony yeah. stuff fits that underlying theme very well. Yeah, I, you're right. It is a talent in itself. It, it's not like a Bendis Malieve or something like that. It's Yeah, I just, I just love reading Cullen Bunny. It's just one of the sad things that you can never read as much as you want to. And there's always something. I walk into the room where, where everything's stacked up and like, oh, how wicked I get to read something. But now I've got to choose one. It's yeah, this... right. That's the hardest part. I have the same problem, like choosing stuff. I, I need to, if I can do it, sit down and maybe dedicate three months to a character. When I try to do that, I did that with the Fantastic Four, the, the whole Lee Kirby run. And it yeah. did take me a long time. And at the end, even though the books I thought progressively got better, um, mm. over time, obviously, as they got their footing, I got less interested in them because I just had read so much of it. Storylines that would otherwise be great are not going to yeah. be as interesting. I'm just burned out. And also, Tim, you couldn't read everything that was released this month that was any good. Yeah. And I find that when I get stuck in these big reading arcs, it puts me off, becomes a little bit turgid, weighty, especially with the older stuff. I need mm-hmm. to get to the end of it because if I'm putting a bookmark in it now, I'm never going to finish this. And you've bought all those fucking comics. <laughs> you bought them to read. Yeah. Cool. So I'm good if you are. I'm good. Coolio. Well, that leaves me one thing to say. We have been, and this is, the end. <laughs> good all job, right. Tim. Yeah. Oh.